0: Here we go. First Samuel 16, verse six. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge him by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. He was the first Simon Cowell in the Bible. (laughs) The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge them by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse eight, and then Jesse told his son Abinadab to, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse replied, they're still the youngest, but he's out in the fields washing the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once." Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Ooh la, la And the Lord said, this is the one. See, the Lord does like handsome people. This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil and the spirit of the Lord came upon powerfully upon David from that day on. I want to talk to you very briefly this afternoon about being faithful in the process. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for what you're doing here at City Light Church. And God, I just thank you for allowing me to be here. God, it took, took a lot for me to get here, but God, by your grace, I'm here. And Father, I just wanna say thank you for what you're gonna do. Lord, speak through me today. And God, I pray that people would leave feeling encouraged and God, they would leave knowing and believing that God, not are you just able, but you're willing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Everyone in here is on a process or on a journey. Some of us are in here, are in the process of finding a new job. We've been interviewing, we've been applying, filling out those applications, going to interview after interview. Some of us in here are in the process of healing. Maybe we're recovering from a former sickness or former disease, or maybe we're recovering from an emotional wound. Maybe we're recovering from a past breakup or divorce. All of us in here are in a very unique process. You see, every process begins and ends with the promise from God, but it's held together by faith and patient waiting. In 1 Samuel 16, we meet for the very first time a person named David. Now, this guy is famous for slaying the giant named Goliath. He's famous for being king over all of Israel. But when we meet him in 1 Samuel 16, we don't see that. We see the shepherd boy. Now, according to history, biblical historians would say David at this time is about 13, 15 years old. He's good looking. Some historians would say he has red hair and freckles. He's like just a good looking guy. And he's given the job of washing the sheep. Now, if you don't know biblical history, those who were given the job of washing sheep were actually considered kind of the worthless, the least valuable. They're not gonna amount to much, even sometimes stupid because they can't do anything with their life. You could actually say that David here is the black. Sheep of the family. The prophet comes into town looking to anoint the new king over Israel. So Jesse, as usual, he just lines up all of his sons, and these guys are looking brawny. I mean, they got the muscles, but Samuel, like Simon Cowell, says, No, not all of them. I'd reject all of them. And then all of a sudden, Daniel comes in from the sheep fields, and he's probably still smelling like sheep dung at the moment. He's probably like, I don't know what, I don't know what they call me in here for. And Samuel instantly says, That's the king right there, anoint him. And there David is wondering, what is going on with my life? I went from watching the sheep to being promised king. The Bible says that David did not become king until he was 30 years of age. So if history says that David's about 13, 15 at the time, he doesn't become king until he's 30. That's 15, 17 years later. Now you may be sitting here and you may relate to David. Sometimes our circumstances don't rely or don't align with the promises of God. Lord, you promised me that my husband would get saved. And I've been praying for years, God, but where is my husband's salvation? Lord, you promised me that, God, you would provide for me and meet my needs. But yet, Lord, I'm still struggling to make ends meet. Lord, you've promised me, you promised me, you promised me. What do we do in this process? And this is what it's called the beauty of the process. God is not just interested in your destination. He's just as interested in who you are becoming in the process. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to roll your cares upon him. He wants you to realize that he's the source. He's the one that's going to break through. It's not your job. By the way, you're not the savior of your life. That what worrying is. Worrying is trying to be the own God of your life. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to give all the care to him for whatever you're concerned about, whatever you're worried about. That's God's job. Now, if David would have became king the following day, it would have destroyed him. It would have ruined his life. Instead, David is given the opportunity to grow and steward the process and become king even before he takes the position. When we pray, God sometimes answers immediately, right? We pray God and, and God, God's God. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But oftentimes when we pray, God answers with a seed. When we pray, God, give me the oak tree. And then God will answer, here's an acorn. And we think, God, I asked for an oak tree. Where's my tree? He said, I answered your prayer And then it's your job to take that acorn and steward it and grow it and watch over it and be responsible for that acorn until it grows into the oak tree. This is what it's like to be faithful in the process. So what do we do? Many of you, here, you feel like David, you feel like you got dreams in your heart. You feel like God has given you promises. You feel like God has given you a great purpose in your life, but yet your circumstances don't line up. What do we do in the meantime? Number one, God wants me to be faithful in the little. God wants me to be faithful. What did David do after he received the promise? Do you think he ran straight to the castle, the throne room, formed a rebellion, got the pitchforks and the torches and started marching around King Saul? No, no, no. He went right back to washing the sheep. He went right back to taking care of the responsibilities that God had already given him. It says in the, in, in, the, in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 10, this is the parable of the manager. And Jesus is referring to the heart of God when it comes to stewardship. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. In the parable of the talents, Jesus describes the heart of God when it comes to faithfulness. It means that if we want more responsibility, we want the dream to happen, we want the breakthrough to come, we have to steward what God has already given us. Here's what, here's what it means for us. We want to be the CEO of the company, but all God is saying to us is get to work on time. Hello. We want to be the business owner. We want to have, have that entrepreneur spirit. You know, we're millennials, right? We just want to be the business owner, right? But all God is saying is to have a good attitude right where you're at. We want to get married, find the right one, but all God is asking us is to be financially responsible, learn to take care of ourselves, and learn to be content. But Griffin... You, 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 don't, you don't know my season. You don't know my nine to five. It's boring. I do the same thing every week. You can do what David did is you can make moments out of your mundane. I call this the principle of washing the sheep. Some of us in here, we just think, well, here comes Monday. Here comes my my boring job. But David, the giant slayer, David, the king over all of Israel, he was not made on the battlefield. He was made washing the sheep. His character, his integrity, his, his, his focus and his love for God was not made fighting the giants. It was made washing the sheep. And David didn't just sit there with his staff and just go, well, I'm just wasting my time here. He spent time in the presence of God. He honored the Lord. You know the the famous Psalm, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He is all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful strings. He renews my strength. That psalm actually came from him doing what he was supposed to be doing. We actually have a revelation as God of the shepherd because he did what he was supposed to do. He took care of his responsibility. Number two, when you're faithful in the little and you're faithful in the process, you're gonna have to honor your soul. We know that a lot had to happen before David became king. Hello, Saul was actually still king at the time. And the Bible said that there was a distressing spirit that would come upon Saul. And Saul heard about David. He was also a musician. And so he sent for David to come and play for King Saul. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 19 says this, Saul sent messengers to Jesse saying, send me your son, David the shepherd. So Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very well pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. And we read this passage, and we go, Oh, that's cute. David is just a wonderful harp player, like a baby angel, and he's he's just playing his music. No, David, there David was. The promised king over Israel, and he's asked to play for the very person who he's going to take his job. Awkward. And yet David plays for the king. He's probably bring, bring. I'm going to take his job one day. Bring, bring. What's he thinking, Ryan? Does he know about Samuel? Does he know what Samuel just did a couple of days ago? Bring, bring. No, David understands. David understands authority. He understands that God placed this person in my life. And even though one day I may take his job, even though I may be the CEO, I may be the business owner, I'm still going to honor him because God placed him over my life. Who is the Saul in your life? Saul is someone that may seem like your enemy, but God has placed them as authority over you to challenge you, to make you better and test your patience. Let me tell you who Saul is not. Saul is not your wife, your kids or your mother-in-law. But Griffin, you don't know my boss. You don't know how difficult it is. He makes my life terrible. Every authority that God has placed in your life is exactly that. God has placed them in your life. And if we wanna be faithful in the process, we have to learn to honor our Saul. Number three, being faithful in the process requires us to talk back to our giants. In verse eight of 1 Samuel 17, Goliath stood and shouted, uh, shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all, this is how a giant, I think is supposed to sound in my head. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am the Philistine. I'm gonna stop because I'm losing you. But you are the only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, when they heard this, They were terrified and deeply shaken. The Bible says for 40 days, twice a day, Goliath stood and taunted Israel and they listened. Here's the thing about your giants. I don't care what you're facing today. Nothing can compare to the size of our God. If you are facing a chronic illness, if you're facing a breakup, a divorce, you just lost your job or all four of those, it doesn't matter. Nothing compares to the size of how big our God is. But here's the thing about our giants. They talk. Oh, and they talk a lot. They got big mouths and they're going to talk, 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 talk until you talk back to it and shut it up. Here's what it says in the Bible. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, a spear and a javelin. And I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies. This is pretty violent. David was a little bold here in the Bible. <laughs> and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The Bible says that David replied back To the giant. He spoke against what the giant said. He didn't talk in agreement with his giant. He wasn't saying what everyone else was saying. He was speaking directly against the giant with God's word. See, this is why it's so important to know our Bibles. Our Bible. If you're a Christian, you know that the Bible is called the sword of the spirit, right? The Bible is called the sword of the spirit. But the sword stays in its sheath unless you speak it out loud. It's not a sword unless you speak it out loud. So you, if you're just sitting there, you can easily, as I have done many times, and just listen to your giant talk to you all day listen to your giant, giant, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. It never will. It didn't happen then. It won't happen in the future. It's not gonna happen then. It's not gonna happen in the future. And you can easily sit there and listen to the giant or you can talk back to it like David did. <laughs> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the thoughts and plans that you have for me, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not an evil to give me a future and a hope. God, I know that Romans 8 says, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You know, one of the biggest giants you will face is the giant of disappointment. In my opinion, the the biggest giant you'll ever face. Satan wants to keep you in a state where you don't think your future is bright and your future is good. And that giant of disappointment will run you over to the ground unless you talk back to it, unless you speak God's reality over it. Amen? Number four, God's timing is perfect. In the great epic movie, The Fellowship of the Ring from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The great wizard Gandalf travels to the land of the hobbits called the Shire. Anyone seen the movie? If you haven't, you got homework to do. Okay. And he's traveling to the land of the Shire, and he's there to meet with his friend Bilbo Baggins. But on his way there, he happens to see another old friend, a teenager by the name of Frodo Baggins. Now, Frodo, due to his relationship with Gandalf, immediately speaks up about the tardiness of his arrival. And Frodo says to Gandalf, you're late. And then Gandalf, played by the famous Ian McGillan, Gandalf the Grey replies, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. (laughs) Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Now, many of us in here, we we are guilty of the Frodo syndrome. We have said, God, you're late. You know, two days ago would have been great for you to show up. One year ago would have been fine. Five years ago, God would have been great for you to show up. And God is saying exactly what Gandalf is saying. Look, I come, I'm never late. I'm never early. I arrive precisely when I mean to. My timing is perfect. And not only that, my timing is your perfection. My timing is your protection. Psalm 37, three through five. This is the Psalm, what I like to call the Psalm of waiting. And this is one of my favorite passages, scripture verses in the Bible. It's even on the background of my phone at the moment. Psalm 37, verses three through five says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will bring it to pass. Man, that's so good, we can just camp right there. You wanna know who wrote this Psalm? David. It says later on in the chapter that David writes, I've been young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. This psalm right here, this passage, is a testimony of David's life. He's looking back at the faithfulness of God, and he's going, man, I've I've learned to just commit it to the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever that's bothering me, whatever it's causing me anxiety, whatever it's keeping me up at night, I've learned to just commit to the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. I've learned to understand that I have desires, burning desires that God has given me for dreams in the future, for things I want to do in my life. But yet David's saying, I've learned to just delight myself in the Lord, take pleasure in him, delight myself in who God is. And God is faithful to bring the desires to pass. I've learned to trust in him and feed on his faithfulness. You know what feeding on his faithfulness is? Let me give you a little demonstration. When when I pray, I'm a little ADHD, so I can't. I can't just sit still. I have to like walk around. So what I do is I do things called victory laps in, in my home, and sometimes it's is the truth. I have this little walk pathway uh, around uh, around my neighborhood. And my roommates will tell you what I do is I leave my phone on, on the piano in the home and I just take my keys just in case they need to leave. And they always say, hey, where are you going? On a victory lap? Yeah, it's a victory lap. And there's a little walkway pathway. And sometimes I, it's a short victory lap and I just do one half lap around. Sometimes I do two laps around because <laughs> I just need to spend time. But while I'm, while I'm there, what I do is I feed on his faithfulness because it happens to everybody. Your Monday is coming, everybody. And when Monday happens, the enemy wants to remind, your giant's going to end up talking again. And he's going to say, remember when this happened, remember how it's not going to happen. And what I do is say, Lord, I just thank you that it's going to happen. And you're taking all things together for my good. And it's, what are you doing? You are feeding on his faithfulness. You're feeding on the faithfulness of God. You want to know another secret? You want to know that it'll drive that that giant away from you is worship. Ooh, man, you just start to worship and you start to remind God of his faithfulness because the enemy can't stand worship because he was originally the worship in heaven. He was the lead worshiper. But as soon as you start worshiping, it's like, oh, I better shut up. I better better stop talking. That will shut your giant up. Okay. Lastly, number five, if we don't give up, we win. Jesus himself went through the process just like you and I. When he was born, he didn't all of a sudden start preaching, even though that's a pretty cool thought, baby Jesus preaching. That's pretty rad, but it didn't happen that way. Jesus had to go through a process. In fact, the Bible says that his ministry didn't begin until the age of 33. Can you Imagine knowing that you're the son of God, but then like years later three, 33 years later, then you can start doing the ministry. Talk about patience. Not to mention, Jesus went through the process of going through the cross. If if you know the story, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was laughed at, his own disciples deserted him. He went through the most terrifying process on planet earth. The Bible also says that Jesus was not only God, but he was fully man. So everything that you've been through, everything that you've been tempted to do, so was he. yet without sin. He gets it. He knows the process. He's been through it just like you have. He knows what it means to be in the waiting. He knows what it means to sit there and just believe God. But what kept Jesus from giving up in the process? He was fully man just like you, just like you and just like me. What kept him going? Hebrews 12:2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You could say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the process. Who was the joy? You were. He found you as the joy in the process. As he was hanging up there on the cross, being whipped, deserted by his disciples, laughed at Roman soldiers, gambling for his clothing, he thought of you. You were the joy in the process, and that's what got him through it. And if Jesus can do it, so can I. I can find joy in the process. What is your joy in the process? What is going to keep you moving? Is it your husband that's going to get saved? Is it that job that's lined up that you've been believing God for? Is it meeting the right one? He's faithful to his promises. He will never make a promise that he can't keep. And while we're waiting in the process, we can find joy in the waiting. Just like Jesus did, we can find joy in the waiting. It's not a complete Griffin sermon if I don't reference Disney at least once. In the famous Disney classic Finding Nemo, a man, a fish by the name of Marlon, I guess a male fish, uh, Marlon ends up losing his son. It's a very tragic moment in the very beginning of the movie and he travels across all the ocean just to find his son. On his way, he meets a very perky, but yet forgetting fish called called Dory. And Dory has amnesia. She tends to forget a lot of things, but for some strange reason, her character always remembers the right things. And on their journey, they find a face mask. And on that face mask is the address of the only place where Nemo is located. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. (laughs) Now, I'm surprised there are actually people in the audience quoting me as I was saying that. Oh, my goodness. And there comes a point in the movie where they've traveled far and wide and they've just been chased after some sharks and they lose the face mask. And the face mask drops all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And Marlin knows it. All hope is lost. There's there's no way we're going to find our son. There's no way. And then Dory, played by Ellen's generous, speaks up and she goes, Hey, Mr. Grumpy (laughs) Gills. When life gets you down, You know what you gotta do? Just keep swimming. I implore you, listen to the prophet named Dory today. When you feel like you wanna give up and it's, it's not looking like it's going to happen, just keep swimming. When you've been praying for your husband to get saved, just keep swimming. When you've been applying for those jobs but nothing has lined up yet, just keep swimming. When you're waiting for the miracle and the breakthrough to happen, just keep swimming. Know that God is faithful. And if Jesus was faithful in the process, if he found joy, so can you. Did you get anything out of this today? In just a couple moments, uh, uh, Omar is going to come up here, and he's going to he's going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. But I want to encourage you this week: know that God is right there with you in the process. And if we if we don't give up, we win. Let me pray for you, Jesus. I just thank you, God, that you are a God that can re- relate to our struggles. You are a God that can relate the things that we deal with. We're all on a unique journey and unique process here. Everyone's on a different path, but Lord, we know that God, you're right there with us in the process. Help us today to be faithful. We know that you're gonna keep your end of the bargain, but God, help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to honor our souls and be faithful with the little what we have. God, to talk back to our giants and know that God, you are Your timing is perfect. We love you, Lord. And we just thank you for this in Jesus' name.